Hi there, this is Pastor Ronnie Allen here at Omega Church. I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. If this is your first time listening, we want to say thank you for joining us. We hope this message equips you to follow God's voice. We believe that if you're searching, today your search is over. Thanks for being with us and enjoy. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Glory to God. Amen. Thanks for that welcome. Glory to God. Come on, shout another praise to the Lord Jesus. He's why we're here. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Stay standing for just a moment longer. Glory to God. This is the day the Lord has made. We are rejoicing and we're glad in it. I believe just as pastor has already set the stage that there is something real Real dynamite that the Holy Spirit just wants to accomplish on the inside of every single one of us. You know, every time we come together, God wants to do something that is life-changing. Something that changes things for the better. And where there's something permanent that is built into our soul every single time. And I believe that's exactly what God wants to do today. So your time is well spent. Now, obviously... Our time is well spent when we glorify the Lord. We come to worship. We come to magnify the Lord, which we have. But we also magnify the Lord by putting his word first place in our life, by grabbing hold of his thoughts or an idea or a concept and letting that word just become alive in us. They're not always brand new words. Many times they're words that we've heard or known for a long time, and yet when the Spirit of God breathes on it fresh and new right this moment, it is full of life and has a destination in mind for you to do something that is life-changing. How many of you could use some change even now in your life? Something That's like two hands for me at all times, it seems, you know. And uh, that's what he comes to do. He comes to lift us. He comes to encourage us. He comes to clarify us. He comes to correct us. Everybody say correct. correct. See, you have to force people to say that one. They just don't really care for that one as much. But, uh, uh, and give us, he comes to give us light and insight. So that's what I'm expecting in these next few minutes. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, go ahead and be seated. I've looked forward to coming back. You know, this church, we've got a long history of, of fellowship and our ministries have been joined together for a long time. This, this church is a partner with our ministry and has been for many years. And uh, Vic and I and our ministry, we value that so very much. We thank God for, for uh, this church and ministry and for Pastor Ronnie and Zona and, and all the team here. Uh, and one of the things that I've always appreciated so very much about this ministry, and there's a lot that I do, but there is always that press for revelation knowledge and clarity in the Word that there is a voice that the Spirit of God speaks through this ministry to people that are a part of it that is bringing light and insight. Vic and I found out a long time ago when we gave our lives to the Lord, it was 1971, so that's been a while back. That's 50-plus years. <laughs> Lord, did I just say that? Um, <laughs> And uh, but what we've what we've found out almost immediately when we locked into the things of God just as teenagers, 
I'd like to tell you Vicki was just like four years old, but she was a little older than that. I've wished I hadn't brought her age up now. <laughs> but when we, when we locked into God, we came to realize that there was an authority and a power in God's words that what God has said is what we can embrace and know without any shadow of doubt that God not only means what he says, but he backs it up and he's ready to move in our lives based on things that he said. All he requires of us is that we receive it and that we receive it in faith. Now, there's God calling right now. I just heard it. He's, he's calling to clarify or at least punctuate that right now. And we just so appreciate that. Now, if that's not the Lord, you need to hang it up. And if I have sufficiently embarrassed you, I could apologize, but I probably, I probably won't. When the angel of the Lord came to to Mary in the book of Luke, the very first chapter, the angel Gabriel came and said a number of things. It was a magnificent uh, life-altering and world-altering moment. But there's a statement that that angel made, said, for with God nothing shall be impossible. No thing shall be impossible. In the, in the original text of the New Testament, that word nothing really divided would be no rhema from God, no word that God has spoken. That's what rhema is. There's, there's a word in the New Testament used often, logos, as the word of God. But there's also this word rhema that you're familiar with, a lot of you are, and it is, it is a word that God has spoken and released power with. And this angel came to say no rhema from God is impossible. And this, this concept of impossible even, looking at that word in its original text, it gives this idea that it is to be without any power. Impossible. There's no power, dunamis power. There's, there's a derivative of the dynamo power of God that makes up this word impossible. It is a negative of that word for power. So the point I want you to, to grab hold of is that there is no word that God has spoken and released that is without the power to fulfill itself. All he requires of us is that we just receive his word the way he's imparted it so that we are releasing the power. You know, you can read words. I mean, some people, you read through the Bible every year maybe or read, have your Bible reading and devotional time. But uh, oftentimes it is, for many people, not something that a lot of faith is being applied to, but just a lot of putting in some time and make sure you get through the verses that you need to so that you can get on with your day or whatever it is you do. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands how many of you read that way. I, I don't want to embarrass you at this point. I'm glad you're reading the Bible. But I'd rather lock into a concept of God. And of course, Vicki and I are in Bible reading times. We just have our our traditions also. So I'm for it. But there is 
something that happens when you lock into something God has said and you release a, the anointing of God that's wrapped inside of that word that it contains so that it is explosive in its power to flow into your own life and bring the change that God's word is designed to bring. That's what we're hungry for. And that's not something that just happens one time instantaneously when you make Jesus the Lord of your life. Now, of course, you know when you made Jesus Lord, man, something shifted big time. You were a brand new person in Christ. That's what the Bible tells us. Old things passed away. All things become new. But here's what we also know. There is a war that goes on inside of us between the realities of what is spiritually alive in us and then the experiences or the mental things that we deal with that can be a conflict on the inside. We, we battle between what the Word and what the Spirit of God says is true and what we feel is happening or what we are afraid is going to happen as a result of current events or personal situations. This is the conflict that we deal with, and it's not unusual. We all deal with it. Every word from God comes with opposition. Anything that God has said comes with opposition. The experience of, of people in the New Testament demonstrate very clearly that anything God says is opposed by the kingdom of darkness. There is a war going on. I know you're aware of that, but I'm going to say it anyway. There's a clashing of these kingdoms, and there's really only two kingdoms, isn't there? There's the kingdom of God and everything else. Kingdom of darkness. There's like no middle ground, really. There's nothing in between the two. There's a war going on. And the reason I point it out and remind you of it is because it is vital to recognize that things are hitting at you and positioning you regularly to let go of the promise and the power of God that God wants to bring into your life. We're always facing challenges. Now, I would say we've probably all faced a little more of the challenges over the last couple of years than we've been accustomed to in the past. We've been inundated with a variety of reasons to be struck with a lot of fear. Fear has been at its high levels for people, economically, but also particularly over these diseases and this variance and the various things that you, you hear about to nauseam. I'll tell you, I'm just done with having to watch people get, get a shot. I'm just, just watching it, you know. If we just get inundated with photographs and pictures and videos of people getting a shot. Can't we just say it? Don't we know what that looks like now? <laughs> but Scripture gives us all kinds of examples. But I, what I'm wanting to deal with today and what I, I really feel compelled of the Lord to remind you of is that we are in the midst of what I'm calling mind games. There are games being played on well-meaning and even solid people in Christ to undermine the reality and the power that God's Word releases and would release in them. You're facing these games and so am I and there's nothing new about it. But it's taken on a new variety and a new intensity 
in a lot of ways because it's come at us through some very trusting or avenues that we should be able to trust. Mind games. You think of mind games and, and uh, it, it sparks that idea in, in my head of war games, the terminology war games that we've heard used in military uh, context. And war games initially, that, that idea just didn't quite gel for me because to me games were something where you should have some fun. You know, I grew up playing games a lot. Man, I was a game kid and we had board games. You probably had a Monopoly, which I always got frustrated at. And uh, sorry, which I was never really sorry. <laughs> so, you know, there was conflict even in the games that you play. But well, something about the idea of war games seemed to be a contradiction because the games are not about having fun. They're about preparing for real war. They're about testing all of the various systems and things that are in place to make sure that they're being tweaked in the ways that would turn that into the most effective and lethal kind of attack or structure of, of war that we can wage, war games. Mind games are kind of that. They're not meant to be fun. They're not designed to really be a good time. They are the games that are being played to manipulate you. Pastor brought that word up, and that was so powerful because that's exactly what's being waged against us is a war of manipulation to get you off of your game, to get you off of your ability to excel in the things of God the way you were designed. You see, God's placed in you the capacity to live on the highest levels of victory and authority and power that anybody's ever lived in. I mean, in Christ, you have all that it takes. The manipulation comes to try to keep you locked in and keep all of us locked in to the idea that we don't have what it takes, that some people will receive, but I won't. Others have been victorious, but this won't be victorious for me. Others got a breakthrough, but I'm sinking. Now, we don't ever want to come out and say it, really. We don't tell too many people uh, that we feel that way, if you tell anybody. But that's the kind of manipulation that Satan tries to play with it. Maybe you've succeeded in the past, but you're not going to succeed this time. Maybe you saw God break through in a situation for you uh, years ago or even months ago, but it's not going to happen this time. Maybe you've heard about the healing power of God delivering one person, but you know so many people, they didn't get delivered. You're probably going to be one of those. That's where this manipulation game is being played. It's in your head. It's not just because you have been a failure to think the right thoughts. It's because there's an enemy to your soul. And he's looking for how to sow the seeds into your own soul to paralyze you in the days you're in right now and steal and rob from you any future that God said would belong to you. That's what the war's all about. It's about your destiny. You've probably heard it said before, I think it's a dynamite statement, what Satan has launched against you as an attack is not about your history, it is about your destiny. It's not about the days behind you, but that's what he'll build on and that's what he plays with, is the days behind you to verify or to give you all the reasons why you should not expect your destiny in Christ to come about. 
That's where the battle is really waged. It's a battle of your soul or a battle in your mind. I say soul, and I want to make a distinction, which you guys around here are well taught, so I think you probably have this distinction pretty clear, but there is a big difference between the soul of a person and the spirit of a person. It's not the same. It's all our inner life, and so that's why you know, we, we sometimes use those terms interchangeably, but technically they're really not. The spirit of man is where the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us and turn us into a temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells on the inside of us. This is where we have our fellowship and where we have our intimacy with God. It is in the realm of the spirit. The soul is really made up of our inner life, but the mind will, intellect, and emotional side of that inner life. And it's in that soulish realm that we have to determine whether we're going to follow what is true in our innermost being by the Holy Spirit of God and by His Word, or are we going to follow what is surrounding us or what is trying to attach itself to us from information on the outside that many times is contrary to the promise and the power of God. And really, it is a soulish situation. You got to decide which way you're going to go. What do you choose to believe? The choice factor happens in the soul, doesn't it? It is, it is what we choose. Scripture tells us to choose. He said, I lay before you life and death, blessing and curse, Choose life. He even tells you what to choose. He says, I'm putting these before you, and then this is what you need to do with it. But he doesn't make the choices for us. He's not going to do for you what he has empowered you and commissioned you to do yourself. This is good preaching, Dennis. That's really good. That was a really good point, actually. Anyway, we'll read from the Bible so you feel like you're in church. But I want, you to, I want you to see that it is, it is the Holy Spirit's design that nothing would be without power in your life, that you've been born of the Spirit of God by the seed of God's Word. And so on the inside of you is all that it's going to take for real power from God to be activated and bring about any kind of miracle that you need in your body, in your family, in your head, in your soul, anything. God doesn't have to come down from heaven once again to do anything. Oh, God, would you please show up, please? We don't know where you went. It feels like you are gone, and I just feel so alone. Oh, stop. <laughs> where are you, oh, God? He's right where he's always been. Don't ask these stupid questions. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that is so harsh. I came to be friendly. I really did. And it's going to kick in here at some point. There's, there's something to be had or, or grasped over this idea that in John's gospel, chapter 1, Jesus is the Word made flesh. Isn't that, isn't that what he talks about there? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's in the flesh, the Word, the Logos of God. But by the time you get to chapter 6, 
He said, my word is spirit. And this is the word rhema, not the word logos. We have the written word or the established word of God coming into a spoken, empowered word that is full of life and full of energy and full of answers and full of right now, this moment help. It's one thing for God's word to be in the book. It's another thing for it to be in your mouth. And that's really the heart of what I'm talking to you about today. But I said this, I said that there's no word from God that comes, that comes without opposition. You go to the life of Jesus again in the the gospel of Luke, the first chapter, you find that at that point when he came to be baptized by John the Baptist, he came to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness, he said. He was fulfilling some things that needed to happen. And we know this, that all of his life, he was born of the Holy Spirit, that he had communion with the Father, that he was the Son of the living God. This was clear from the outset. We know that. But something shifted when he came up out of the waters of baptism and the Holy Spirit descended, the Bible says, and came upon him as a dove. Remember what I'm talking about? See, Jesus was transitioning at that instant from knowing the Father to revealing the Father. The Bible tells us later in the book of Hebrews, right at the beginning of the book of Hebrews, that he was the perfect reflection of the Father. That if you see Jesus, he told one of his disciples who said to him, show us the Father. Here Jesus had been teaching and preaching for a couple of years to these disciples, three years really. And then finally one of them says to him, would you just show us the Father? And Jesus said it so clear. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus was that perfect reflection of the Father. And really, that's what, that's what is happening for us now as believers. We are told to know God, but we're not only designed to know God, we're designed to do just the same thing Jesus has done and reveal the Father. Our life is all about bringing a revelation of what the Father looks like. What that tells me in thinking of that regarding Jesus is that anything you may think about God that is not reflected in the life and ministry of Jesus is a misconception of the truth. There's things people believe about God that you don't see happening through the life of Jesus. You don't see Jesus, for example, putting sickness or disease on anybody. Well, we've got some weird ideas going around, and I say we, I don't mean me. I'm pretty sure I don't mean you either, but there are some, let me try to say it more friendly, there are some weird ideas that go around of the things that God is doing that you don't see in the life of Jesus. You don't see in the life of Jesus that he sent them a, a hurricane so that they could learn how God is a good God. You don't see Jesus breaking their legs so that he can prove to them that he could heal it. Come over here, give me your hand, I want to smash it so that I can prove to you I can heal it. But we've got some weird people going around. Well, I don't want to be so harsh here publicly on people. We've got some people 
that just promotes some very strange ideas about God that you just don't see in the life of Jesus. So, so when, when you're in your Bible reading, go back through the Gospels and remind yourself of what Jesus really is revealing about the Father, what you're seeing when you see his ministry. Because what you're seeing is not only a man born of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, a man free from the dominion of sin, Jesus, a man revealing the Father God. He said, I do nothing but what I hear my Father or see my Father do it. He said, I'm doing only what my Father commissions me to do. That's it. But what you're also seeing is the sample son, the demonstration of what sonship looks like, what it's really looking like for a son of God to be free from the dominion of sin, full of the Holy Spirit, and anointed with the Spirit of God upon him. God not only would dwell within him, but would land and light upon him. And that's really the demonstration of what that life is to look like for you and for me personally. We not only have a knowledge of our Father, but we have a capacity to reveal the power of God in our life. Glory to God. God's wanting to lift our sights. And I think what these uh, strategies and attacks that we've been living through over the last couple of years, and it's, it's not new, but it sure has intensified, is all about getting our eyes off of who we really are, what we're really assigned to do, and how we can really bring it about to change our focus. I mean, you think about how Satan came to Jesus himself right after Jesus came up out of those waters of baptism in, the, in uh, the gospel of Luke there, and the Holy Spirit came upon him. The Bible says that the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness. Jesus spent some time, 40 days actually, of separation, hearing things and gaining instruction. We don't have any detail much as to what was happening there regarding how Jesus was communing with the Father. But what we do have is we have those temptations that Satan brought. And it was during this time of intimacy, but during this initial time of Jesus stepping into this new role to not only know the Father, but now reveal the Father, and Satan came to challenge him. This new word, if I can call it that, because you remember what happened. When Jesus came up out of the waters, what happened? The voice of the Father himself spoke. You are my beloved son. Called him son. In whom I'm well pleased. Now there was no question who Jesus was. No matter who else questioned it, now it was verified by the voice of the Father himself. All of heaven knew it. Now people in the earth knew it. Certainly now the devil knew it for sure. This is my beloved son. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So now if Satan's kingdom had any question about which direction to launch their attacks against, it was now crystal clear. Here is a word that has been received. Here is a word that has been spoken. It is a rhema word. And there's going to be opposition, and here it came. 
The very first thing Satan said to Jesus, you remember what it was? If you are the Son of God. I mean, that's the first thing you hear from the Father, that you are my Son. The first thing Satan opposes is the very thing that Jesus had heard so strong. It doesn't mean Jesus didn't know it before that, but now it has been released, and there is a release of power now based on a word spoken, and that's the very first thing that Satan contradicts. If you are the Son of God, prove it. What was Jesus' response? Let's read down to I'll read from the Bible so you really feel like you're in church. This is Luke chapter 4. I'll jump in in verse uh, number 3. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him and said, Everybody pay attention to the fact that he said it. He didn't think it. He said it. This is where power is released. That's the system God designed. And what did he say? He said, it is written. Everybody say it out loud. It is written. Say it again. It is written. That's how Jesus dealt with the devil. If you want to know how to deal with the devil, that's crystal clear. It is written. Here's what Scripture says about your stupid idea, devil, if you are the Son of God. How ridiculous is that? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. And that's interesting because it's not every logos, but every rhema word that has been spoken, but every word of God. That's how we live, by the word. Say it, I'm a word person. Glory to God. That's one thing I know for the decades that I've known you, pastors. This is a word ministry established on the Word, acting on the authority of the Word and declaring it with authority and with power. Man, you're in a powerful place for that. You know, we'd like to think that every church was created equal, that all churches were basically the same. They're all just churches, and this is kind of how the world looks at it. Well, church is church, you know. But here's what you find. Not all church really is church. Not all events like this are really about the same things. And that's why when you lock into a place that has insight and light and revelation and the anointing of the Holy Spirit and miracles are happening and people's lives are being revolutionized, man, you want in on the action. Not just so you can be in a club. Not so you can just leave feeling better, you know, about yourself, although you need to feel better about yourself. But you feel right in the presence of God. You've had an experience with the anointing and the authority of God's Word. You've learned something about how to take dominion over the attacks and strategies against you. Glory to God. It can be life and death where you go to church. So what did Jesus say again? He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Now, you know, the devil didn't quit. He went on. Then the devil, taking him to a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment's time. The devil said to him, all authority has been given 
all authority or all this authority I will give you and their glory for it has been delivered or betrayed to me. You know what he's referring to there, right? He's referring all the way back to the Garden of Eden when the authority that was given to Adam and Eve in that garden right from the start, the authority to have dominion in the earth and to, to bless this planet and for it to be fruitful and multiply, all that authority was given to mankind from the very start. But with the disobedience of Adam, what God had given Adam was betrayed and delivered into the hands of the devil in those moments. And authority changed, and this whole planet changed. Everything changed. This is why I think in heaven it's highly possible that Adam's going to have heavy security because we have questions. We need some clarity about some things that only Adam apparently is going to be able to give us. All right, I know it's all about the love of Jesus and everything, so maybe it won't be that dangerous for him, but, man, we need, we need some answers. Verse 7, therefore, Satan says, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and he said to him, now here's, here's also how you deal with the devil. Get behind me, Satan. But that's not all you say. And that's not all Jesus said. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Satan's always looking to give people shortcuts and try to tell them that they can get to the same place because Jesus came to restore authority the way God had designed it and had given it. Isn't that what Jesus came to do? To bring back to mankind the authority, but where it would never be able to be stolen or betrayed again. There would now be a covenant between the Father and the firstborn from the dead, Jesus. That's what Jesus had come to establish. But what Satan came to do was to give another way to regain authority. At least that's what he was tempting Jesus to do. Regain this authority another way. I have it, Satan said. I'm going to give it to you. Now, being that Satan's such a liar, I'm not really sure that that was going to be the end game there. But what he was after was the compromise to get Jesus to bow. Obviously, that isn't going to happen. We've got the Son of the living God dealing with a fallen angel, which is all Satan is. They are not equals. But this would have been a dramatic shift, and Satan would have regained something or given something that put him in complete authority without any question of ever being challenged again. But Jesus isn't moved by this. You know he's not. The sad thing, though, is that many times we can face things similar to this, and we are moved by it. A shortcut to getting some answer or get, getting something that we think God wants us to have or we think we should have, and we look for a shortcut to obtain it instead of walking it out in the authority of God's Word and in the power of the Holy Spirit. We've got people looking for a shortcut to not have to stand on the authority of the word or not have to 
pray like they know they could or should or not have to stand in the promise of God and just push back on the things of the devil. And Satan wants to tell people that they can gain ground by taking shortcuts. It's not true, though. Jesus answered and said to the devil, uh, and you got to love this, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall, not, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. But then Satan brought him to Jerusalem. This is all happening in, in supernatural ways. You can see it. First he shows him the world. Now he's just taking him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are, here it is again, if you are the Son of God, I just think we've got to park on that again for just a moment because here's, this, here's the deal. You really are a child of the living God. Now, we use that kind of terminology and, and, and right that we should, but it's sometimes that we've lost the power of what that really means. What can be said of a father can be said of that child. What can be said of your heavenly father can be said of you. We understand that Jesus said, my, my father and I are one, but you and me are also one with him. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. I know these are terminology you hear a lot, but I want the power of that to ignite on the inside of your head right now so that your soul comes alive and gets on fire with the reality that you really are a child of God and that you have a covenant that cannot be broken. Now, let me work on that for just a moment because the covenant that God has made is a covenant between the heavenly father and the firstborn son from the dead, like I mentioned earlier. Once you receive Jesus and what he has done on your behalf that it is a personal thing for you, then Jesus has become Lord. You enter into his covenant. This is a covenant of the firstborn son. What this does for us is it makes all of us, regardless of gender, it rem and by the way, there's only two, but, uh, you know, you wouldn't think you'd have to bring that up, but apparently it's confusing to some. It puts all of us, regardless of gender, man or woman, into a covenant of firstborn son. There is no secondborn in this kingdom of the firstborn. We are the church of the firstborn. And why that's significant is because in society in those days, and really in many societies even in these days, the firstborn son got double the inheritance of any other, any other family member. Now, whether you think that's right or wrong, if you're firstborn, you probably like that idea. If you're more firstborn, you probably think that's kind of a ripoff. But really, it doesn't matter what we think. The way it's established is there is a, a generation of people born now in Christ. You notice the genealogies that you go through in Scripture all through the Old Testament, these genealogies are referred to, and even the New Testament begins with the genealogy, but it always ends with Jesus. 
It ends with Christ. We are that generation where there is no more need for the genealogy for understanding who we are. We are in Christ. He is in us. All that he is is ours and all that we have is his. And we're in this united together in power. We are sons of the living God. Thank you, Jesus. But Satan will oppose all of this with you personally, just like he does Jesus here. You just have to be ready for it is all. And just know that that's the game. It's a mind game that Satan's doing his best to play on you. So he said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. Now look at who's quoting a scripture. This is the devil. Although he twists it around some, you can count on that. He's not going to give it to you straight. But he does say this. He says, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. But Jesus said this to him. He said, it has been said. Now, this time it's not only been written, but now it has been spoken. It has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. I'm going through this, and I know this isn't new and news to you, but these are important issues to grasp, that this is how you deal with the devil. And I think too much of these last couple of years have really stressed people's capacity to stand on the word and really speak what God says in the face of this onslaught of so-called verifiable information. Trust the science. Well, fine. I mean, I, I believe in science when it's real science. That's all I'm going to say about that. But these kind of things come in order to undermine our ability to see ourselves in the future that God has for us. That's really what this is all about, to get you to a place of compromise, to get you to let go of things that you've even known already to be true. These mind games are not something anybody's exempt from. It's all through Scripture. We've got various examples of people facing the kind of issues that we face. I mean, I always go back to David, uh, King David, but before he was king. <clears throat> you remember, he, he had a variety of reasons to not really feel like he would qualify as king. I mean, he had a family situation where the prophet of God came to the household. Samuel came to Jesse's house to find the son of Jesse that God had sent the prophet to anoint so that the, there would be a king to replace Saul who was messing up royally. And Jesse, the dad, brings out all of the sons to stand before Samuel, well, all except David. David was out tending flocks and not handy, and uh, in Jesse's mind, apparently, was not even a candidate to be anointed as king. 
And so Jesse brought all of the other brothers and that prophet. He went to them, every one of them, went down the line, and there was not that word from the Lord for any of these sons, even though that prophet gave it an opportunity every single time, every single son. He went in front of them until he finally said to Jesse, he said, are there no more sons? Jesse had to admit there was one more. And the prophet said, well, nobody's going to even be seated until that son stands before me. They had to go bring David in from the flocks to stand before the prophet, and he was there anointed to be king. That'd be quite some time before he became king, but the anointing came on him then. Well, the reason I bring it up is because he didn't have an ideal family situation, did he? If his father didn't see him in any light that he could ever measure up, I mean, uh, maybe the dysfunction in your house doesn't seem all that unique. Not to minimize how important it is and what we have to deal with, but let's face it, man. Uh, There is like dysfunction in just about every house I have known. Not that I'm the judge. Not that that's important, but I just want you to know you're, you're not alone in this. Even David's own brothers, they didn't really care for him all that much apparently either. You remember what happened when all of Israel was being threatened by Goliath and David was too young to go out to war. All the other sons of Jesse were out on the battlefield. Well, they called it that. Goliath was coming out threatening Israel on a daily basis and blaspheming against God and announcing all of his threats, etc., David went out as a courier to take some food to his brothers. When he got there, he heard the threats and the the blasphemies of Goliath, and it just got all over David. Who's, Who's allowing this? Why is this being tolerated? He saw things totally different from anybody. There was nobody in Israel that was ready to go to battle with Goliath. Nobody. They were terrified. They had been daily hearing the fear and focused on the fear and their lack of capacity to walk in the covenant of God. That's all they were hearing, and that's all they could see was the threat against them, and they stayed off of the battlefield. David came. He hadn't been hearing all that. He, He was of a different mindset, and he got there. You know what happened. One of his brothers even accused him, said, I know why you're here. You're here to see the battle, which, of course, begs the question, what battle? There was no battle going on, and David didn't come to see the battle. He came for a different reason, but he he saw what was going on. And he heard something come up in him that was different from anybody else in Israel. I can deal with this enemy. And he did it, and you know how that went. One of the great stories, greatest stories in Scripture. But what I want you to see is, This word from God that all of Israel had about this covenant had come with opposition. Goliath was voicing that opposition. So Scripture gives us some real clear things that we do with this opposition, and I want to take you to one of the passages that is just so crystal clear about this from Proverbs chapter 4. Real familiar territory, I know. 
I want to read this, though, from the Passion Translation, which I've come to enjoy a lot and find it to be quite accurate. In Proverbs chapter 4, let's just go through some of this instruction clear enough to remind ourselves as to what it takes to push back on the mind games that Satan's trying to impose on any one of us. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 20 said, Listen carefully, my dear child, to everything that I teach you and pay attention to all that I have to say. You know, I, we could just park there for a long time, but there is a difference between hearing and paying attention. See, I proved that in algebra while I was in school. Well, and other classes also. I'm not proud of all that, actually, but I got out of that. Verse 21, he said, now watch this. Fill your thoughts with my words. With what? God said, fill your thoughts with my words. There are words being preached to you all the time. And you are preaching to yourself all the time. You are announcing things to yourself, proclaiming things about yourself, wondering things about the days that you're in and what's going to happen. And it is all part of the game that's being played. That's why he reminds us here to fill your thoughts. This is what meditation does. Meditation doesn't empty our thoughts and think nothing. Meditation, the way God talk, teaches it, is to fill our minds, but to fill our minds with the right kind of thinking. So he said, fill your thoughts with my words, look at this, until they penetrate deep into your spirit or into your being. Not just a glance by, not just a drive-by experience, but where it penetrates, it really has an impact on the way you're facing something. Verse 22, then, as you unwrap my words, they will impart true life and radiant health to the very core of your being. Everybody say divine life, divine life. and radiant health. This is what God's Word does. You see, on the inside now, as a born-again believer, you have the substance of the Spirit of God, zoe, life. That's that Greek word for life, the life of God. Now on the inside of you, Jesus said, out of your innermost being would flow rivers of that life-giving water. This is part of how that takes place. You understand that these words can be unwrapped, not just read, but revealed, so that you're soaking up or releasing the power of what is spoken and part of, and we're going to get to it, but I, I'm jumping ahead, part of how these words release power is that we speak them, not just know them, not just have read them not only have heard somebody else say them, even though that releases power as well, but we ourselves are speaking what God has said. That means that when you don't have enough to pay the bill, you declare that God has provided more than enough 
for you to face these bills in the name of Jesus. That means that when your body's telling you one thing with symptoms or pain or some issue, you are saying something different than what your body may be saying. You are declaring that by the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. That God has sent his word and brought healing to me. It's not even coming. It's not like it's even on its way. It's already here. Been times I've laid hands on someone, they've been prayed for, and in a moment or right afterwards, they'll just declare with a lot of fervency a lot of times, I know healing is coming. One of these days I am going to walk free from this. I know it because God's word is true. While that sounds powerful and effective, it really is simply saying, I have not received it yet, but one of these days it's going to happen. That's not what the Bible teaches us in the new covenant. The new covenant is that God has already sent salvation, and that includes healing in our bodies, that we are already born again, saved spirit, soul, and body. And if our body is contradicting that, well, that's time to release this power of this infused word that is on the inside of us that brings that healing out of our innermost being and floods it like a flood into our body. In Jesus' name. Yeah, but Dennis, I know somebody, man, they they believed a lot like what you're talking about. They died. Well, they're healed now. I know that's not your point at all. I get it. I know your point. But here's, here's the deal for, for these kind of questions. One thing, you don't know what's going on the inside of people. You just don't. You barely know what's going on the inside of yourself. One pastor, he described something to me that I've never forgotten. How they had prayed for somebody in their church. I, I've told this here before, but I just had it come up in my spirit again. They had somebody in their church, uh, a young family. Mom had had uh, been diagnosed with a cancer, and it was it was taking its toll. She was listening to tapes. It was tapes in those days. It's been a few years. She was listening to messages about the Word, and and she was singing and worshiping and listening to Christian music and doing all the kinds of things I do. But she wasn't getting better. She was getting worse. She was put into the hospital finally for intense care. And uh, one day at that stage, though the pastor had been praying personally and had the church praying and knew that this lady was praying and friends were seeing her and visiting anyway, the Lord spoke to this pastor to go visit this lady at the hospital. Unannounced, he went over there and and, uh, came in to see her. She was listening to some music and had scriptures on the wall and all the, all the right things. But the Lord had sent this pastor there to ask this question. Are you going to live or are you going to die? And she said, you know, pastor, I haven't said this to anybody. I haven't even told my husband, but actually I knew months ago when this diagnosis first came, that I was going to die with this. She had settled it. 
He said, well, you know what we teach. You've heard it many times. God wants you well. But if you've settled this, then it's settled. I just needed to know this because your children are going to want to know why prayer didn't work. My church is going to want to know why you didn't receive what we've been praying for you to receive. You have settled that that wasn't going to go that way. And our praying and God's interest for you to be healed is not going to prevail against what you've decided. He didn't say all of it just that way. I'm adding to what he said. But he just simply said, uh, now we know. And as tragic as it is and as terrible as it went, she did die. And that's not to say it's okay, but it's not to say that she didn't go to heaven. And while we, we understand that children pay a price and families pay a price and people pay a price for the loss of somebody, they're not really lost. We know where they are. And I get it, man. There's all that emotional, personal side of it. You know, I understand that. We all do. So I'm not making light of that. But once you start meditating on it and really seeing through it, you realize the reality of heaven and in these days, we're going to see this reality closer and closer. Heaven touching earth and the reality of what it means to step over to the other side. That it's not as a loss. It is just a new phase of eternal life. See, when you made Jesus Lord of your life, you received eternal life then. The Bible teaches us we died the death of the cross. We were raised up in newness of life. We've become eternal then. It's not after we lay our bodies down. It is now. We're already in it. We're dealing with all of this smoke and mirrors right now in a lot of ways and the reality, though, of what's going on here on the earth. We have to see how how much we are connected. And that hasn't changed or doesn't change because of the events of life, man. We are, we are born of the Spirit of God and eternally alive. Glory to God. But now, let me try to wrap up. I've only gotten about halfway to where I thought I'd go, but I'm not taking it back. Once again, in verse 22, he said, Then as you unwrap my words, they will impart true life and radiant health into every or into the very core of your being. Verse 22 or 23. So above all, say above all. So this is like big time important. All of this has been very important. Now above all, guard the affections of your heart. Everybody say guard. guard. That is the significant concept that he's getting across to us you got to put a guard over what gets into your head and into your heart. He said, above all, guard the affections of your heart. So look, if you are spending more time on news reports and, and uh, all of what's been going wrong over the last several years, you're spending more time in that than you are really meditating in God's Word or taking God at His Word, then your discouragement is self-inflicted. You didn't really need the devil to get on you. You're just doing a fine job all by yourself. 
So he said, guard the affections of your heart. How do you do that? You guard what goes in your ears, what goes in your eyes, and what comes out of your mouth. Guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellsprings of life. Doesn't get any clearer than all this. This is just very nitty-gritty, hands-on instruction as to how you handle it. He, all he could do better is just draw you a cartoon picture. But your imagination is designed for that, to imagine these things coming about, that you have a guard. You have, you have a capacity, an imagination to see the, the move of God in any given situation. There was a man many years ago told his story. He had been healed of cancer. He told his story, though, that when he was diagnosed with it and struggling with it, he really didn't know the Lord. He, uh, he finally got to a point where his doctor told him, uh, there's really nothing more that we're going to be able to do for you. Uh, we're going to release you to go home for now and uh, see how this progresses and see what else needs to happen for you to be comfortable, but there's nothing more that we're going to be able to do for you. Well, he went home pretty despondent, of course, and despair was setting in. He sat down. He lived alone. He sat down in his chair and had the TV on and sat there watching it. Now, this is a long time ago, so it got to a point on the program where uh, the station was going off the air. There was nothing but that test pattern they used to put up. Anybody remember what I'm talking about? A handful of people. It's not important. And he just sat there and continued to look at the test pattern. And he got to thinking, he said, you know, if there was a God, which I've never settled that there was, but if there was a God, surely he'd be a good God. Now, that's real revelation, really, that some people haven't even obtained yet. And he said, and if this God is a good God, he, he wouldn't want me dying like this, like they've described, and like this looks like it's going. He wouldn't want that. And once he got those two things kind of going over in his head, he started to imagine something. He imagined a, a battle going on in his body. He had, a, he had an army. I think they were on horseback. And he would gather these thousands of soldiers on horseback and with all their weapons. He'd gather them up around his shoulders in his imagination. And he sat there and would launch an attack. Charge. Here they'd go. They'd go down and they'd fight for a while and they'd stick and they'd cut and they would slash and they would have all kinds of violence and gory things that you don't want to see on a screen. Then he'd call for a retreat. He said, they'd gather him, I'd gather him back up around my shoulders. And he said, in a little while, I'd send him out on another charge. Charge! He said, in my head, man, they're just, here they go. Oh, they're going down a slash, cut, stick, kill. He went on like this for hours. He decided he'd do that the next day, and he went on like that for days. 
Well, sometime later, he was to go back for another appointment to follow up on how he had been progressing or how this disease had been progressing. And instead of shuffling in, this time he kind of just kind of walked in to the office. And the doctor looked at him and was stunned. He said, what is going on? What have you been doing? And so I, I think he, if I remember right, described a little of what he was doing. He said, well, I don't know about all that, but whatever you're doing, the doctor said, you need to keep doing that. He said it was just a few weeks later, they ran further testing and said, you know, you have gone into remission. The doctors hadn't expected that, apparently. At the time he was telling this story, he had been in remission for nine years. He got healed. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. What happened? He let the word come alive, a word from God that he received as revelation. Of course, he was now telling this in church, man. He'd gotten born again. In all this, he'd got revelation that God was a good God. God wanted him well, and God wouldn't want him dying with that disease, and so he launched an attack. His imagination went into operation where he began to see the things that God wanted rather than the things that were being reported and even the things that he was feeling. There are strongholds in the soul that Satan has built into people over their lifetime. And I'm not going to get way off into this, but let me just try to bring it down to this example of dealing with strongholds so that you are destroying the imaginations of an enemy and you are releasing the imaginations of the Spirit of God in your own soul. A few years ago, my wife Vicki, who is just a very talented person, very administrative type person, in fact, for many years, ran our whole office. I just have called her the brains of Dennis Burke Ministries and sometimes just the brains of Dennis Burke, frankly, you know, but... Uh, don't tell her I said that. But a friend of hers who had taken up uh, painting on canvas, taken up as a hobby, just painting, and her friend had, had uh, you know, ex learned some things and was enjoying it just as a personal hobby. She said something to Vicky. Vicky's sisters, this friend had come to know, Vicky's sisters, uh, not know personally, but just knew from Vicky. They were very talented. They had all kinds of artistic abilities and, and had all through Vicky's childhood, and they were just, uh, had excelled in that. And, and when Vicky was in school, she was going to take an art class. She wanted to take an art class as an elective. And, and, uh, but her mother told her something that had stuck with Vicky, all through the years, and then when this friend said, you know, you ought to take up painting yourself. Uh, your sisters have this, this artistic, creative side, and surely you got it too. And Vicky said something that she had heard her mother say to her, and it came out of Vicky's mouth. She said, no, I was told, my mother told me when I was 13, I had no talent, and I needed to just take business classes, and so she wouldn't sign off on me taking an art, art class. And Vicki said, you know, I didn't really think anything further of it. I just accepted what, her, what the mother had said and, and uh, went on. But when she heard that come out of her mouth to her friend, 
My mother told me I have no artistic ability. Vicki had never tried painting. Had never, never allowed herself to even go there mentally at all. But when she heard it come out of her mouth, she just right on the heels of it said, but I'm killing that idea today. And she took up painting, got some education on it, got some teachers, got some people giving her guidance. And next thing you know, she is putting out some magnificent paintings. And she, uh, in fact, the very first one she was, not the very first one, but one she was very excited about. She'd just been with a teacher with this new technique of knife painting, and she had done this knife painting and just so excited at how, how cool it looked and stuff, she posted it on a Facebook page just to say, look what I did. You know, Mama was wrong. <laughs> and she got a few comments, you know, that always makes you feel good and serotonin's flowing and and all that sort of stuff. And then somebody, in just a few moments, I mean, it had not been posted just a few minutes, somebody said, you know, that is beautiful. Can I buy that? Can I buy that? Vicki just went over the top. She said, man, somebody actually wants to buy this. I said, well, uh, did you want to sell? She said, everything's got a price. <laughs> <laughs> and she did. All that to say, strongholds can be built into your soul. Satan plays the game of using those kind of strongholds to keep you paralyzed through events or comments or failures or just uh, things that have gone wrong up till now or divorces or whatever's happened. Somebody died in your house or your family or you lost the battle over one thing or another. And Satan has tried to use that to create a picture of your future. And today is all about destroying those strongholds, shutting down the mind games, letting the Holy Spirit build, begin to build a new stronghold, a stronghold of faith, a fortress of power that is guarded by your own choices to think God's thoughts and to pray God's prayers and to speak God's word. In Jesus' name. I want you to stand with me, and I want us to do just that. Hallelujah. With our imagination, we choose to see things. You see yourself healed. You see yourself prosperous. You see yourself with a job. You see yourself favored. You see what God's promise would create as a picture for you. You don't just dream stuff up, but you find something God has said. That's where the power is. And then you let that go off on the inside of you and create a picture, something you can lock on to. That doesn't mean that everything's going to happen just the way you imagine it. No, that's not the point. But the point is you're sparking something that faith locks onto. You've received a word and let that word really take root in your soul in your heart so we lay hold on those things today and create a stronghold of faith a fortress that cannot be brought down Jesus had those fortresses settled it is written it is written it has been said 
And with that, those fortresses defeated every strategy of Satan when it was face-to-face combat. It's just as powerful in you right this minute. I don't know what you've been dealing with. Of course, it's different for every single person, but everybody's dealing with something. Satan's tried to play games with your head and sow seeds and create pictures of failures or defeat of one type or another. But this moment, we're exposing it for what it is. It's just a trick of the enemy. It's a mind game. And it's over this moment in Jesus' name. Lift a hand before God. Say it right out loud. Oh, God, I declare that your word is my word, that I'm revealing your anointing through my own soul, through my own experience. And in Jesus' name, every trick of the enemy, every game Satan's been playing on me, I see it for what it is. I see the strongholds. I see the game. And I command it to stop. I pull it down in the authority of Jesus that it is destroyed and it has no further power. And I release the authority of the Word, things you have spoken, God. I'm speaking now. Prosperity is mine. Healing is mine. Disease flees from me. I resist the enemy. He does flee. He has no power over me. I'm a child of the King. I'm a child of the Most High. The seed of the Word is alive in me. The anointing rests within me. The anointing rests upon me. And I receive it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. That's how things change. That's how answers come. That's how we resist the devil, and that's how he flees from us. Don't think the devil won't flee from you. He flees from you because you put the word in your mouth just like Jesus did. You're born of the same spirit as Jesus. You're full of the same Holy Spirit. You've been delivered from sin just like he was never under sin's dominion. You're not under sin's dominion. And the Spirit of God has come to rest upon you just like he did Jesus. You not only have access to learn and know the Father God, but you now are commissioned to reveal the Father. That's why we must live in victory. We must continue to walk in faith. We must sow seeds and expect harvest to come because that is who we are. We're revealing that God's design is that we would be symbols and sources of blessing, that his blessing would come out of our own life and our own mouth and out of our own experiences, that we are a revelation of what the blessing looks like. So, Father, let that be so for every single person in Jesus' name. Do you receive this today? Say it out loud. I'm a receiver. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. I'd like to say thank you for all those who give and support this ministry. I pray that you've been blessed and challenged by the podcast today. For more information on how to give, you can visit omegachurch.com forward slash give. Thank you for believing in our mission.